Lord Jesus, all this is for you from beginning to end, and it's all about you, and it always has been, and it always will be. So, Lord, may our praise be a sweet sound in your ear. May our obedience be a sweet sound in your ear. And now, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word, we do so with great joy and gladness. Come, speak to us this day, this hour, this moment, out of the fullness of who you are, into the emptiness of our vessel this morning. We open ourselves and welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speakers for today who aren't really guests because they're family and friends. Some of you have uh, perhaps not yet had the privilege of meeting Pastor Sam and Sarah Snyder. Pastor Sam uh, is the lead pastor of our congregation in Minneapolis, Bethel Christian Fellowship Minneapolis, alongside of his beautiful wife, Sarah. And uh, they are here this morning to share with us out of Ephesians chapter 5 on the issue of relationships. And, you know, Pastor Sam and Sarah have ministered among us now for the last five years. And, you know, I talked about, I think it was a week ago, I said how, you know, when I bring the word of the Lord, it always passes through my, the sword always passes through my own heart before it passes to you. And um, so in five years, I've had the joy and opportunity to observe this couple living their life together with their now family of seven. So those of you that don't know, I don't know if you'll tell this piece of the story, but Pastor Sam and Sarah have two biological children, had two biological children, and then God led them into uh, fostering uh, a, a sibling group of three children whom they ended up adopting. So they went from a family of four to a family of seven overnight. And um, they live out what they're sharing this morning. So all that is just to simply say, when they bring the word to us this morning, they come to us with credibility and with integrity. And I would invite you to join me in welcoming them this morning. Relationships are a really big part of our lives. We can't escape them. We can't avoid them. We're actually born into relationships, whether we like it or not. You're born into your family. You didn't get to choose that. And you can't go through life without relationships as much as you might not like some of the relationships you find yourself in. You can't go through life without them. It's a big part of life. It's a really big part of life. And sometimes all of the relationships that we find ourselves in, we can uh, approach them with just this attitude of, like, I just got to survive. I'm just going to make it through another day. And those relationships could be our relationship with our spouse. Like, I'm just going to make it through another day. You know what? Thank you, God, we survived another day. And it could be your relationship with your immediate family. Maybe you're parenting toddlers, maybe you're parenting teenagers, and you're going, like, God, I'm just glad I survived another day. Amen. <laughs> uh, maybe it's at work, and you, you're going to work, and you're putting in the time, but there's no, there's no life in it. The drama at work just saps you of energy, and you're like, I just don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to go and get out of there as soon as possible. I don't know if you've ever been there, where work is, is, well, it's work and painful to go through. But a lot of times, I've found it's not because of the work that you're doing, but it's because of the people that you're doing it with. That the relationships at work can be really draining, and then we, we dread the work because of the people that we're doing it with. And 
we're barely surviving our work relationships. And maybe you found yourself in the place where you've gone from one work relationship to the other because you're just like, I gotta quit this job because of these people. And then you go to this other job and you find another set of people that are just like the other ones. And you're like, and then you, I gotta get another job because of the people. And you'll find that there's people everywhere you go. So learning how to do relationships in all of the different environments that we find ourselves in is really important. It's a really big thing. And it uh, turns out it's because God's a relational God. Uh, that we need to learn about relationships. We are created for relationships. We're surrounded by relationships. God wants us to be able to have relationships that don't just barely survive, but he wants us to have relationships that thrive. And I believe, and I always have believed, that that's actually possible. And I remember when we first got married, we knew this was possible. I mean, we, uh, two months after we got married, we did a, a couple's banquet in Mexico because I don't know, I don't think they knew what else to do with us. So we're down in Mexico visiting on a, on a mission trip, and they're like, we, we did kids' events, youth events, um, community events, and they're like, why not? We got an open Friday night. Let's do a couple's banquet. Who should we have speak? Well, let's have Sam and Sarah speak because they know a lot about this stuff. <laughs> two months in. So two months in, I remember telling stories. Um, here's, here's us when we first got married. If I've got this right, that's probably why it's not going forward. Or I'm just going to keep hitting this button. Anything? There we go. We haven't changed one bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when we first got married, and it was shortly after that picture was taken that we're down in Mexico doing this uh, couple's banquet. And I remember that the main gist of it was, had something to do with the fact that having thriving relationships is, it is simple. It's possible to, to, to have it. And it's, it's not that hard. It's kind of easy. Well, after 10 years of being married, I can tell you that we were wrong. Relationships aren't easy, and being married isn't easy, and having a thriving married relationship is actually a lot of work. But it's not complicated. That part we were right about. It is actually kind of simple, but it's hard. It's not easy, but it is simple. Now we really have stories to share about relationships and Amen. thriving. <laughs> I brought the choir. Uh, Jesus, amen. Preach it. <laughs> so maybe you find yourself today in a place where you look at your relationships and there's some of them that aren't thriving and you're like, I'm barely surviving in this area. Uh, the good news is that God gives us insight into how to have thriving relationships. Like maybe you don't have friends for very long. Maybe you look at, your, at yourself right now and you're like, there aren't very many friends that you've kept for very long. Because after a while, drama creeped in and you're like, I'm just stopping with these and I'm finding new ones. And you found that pattern repeating in your life. Maybe you can't remember the last time that you talked to your parents. Maybe you can't remember the last time that you talked to your siblings. Maybe it's something that you avoid. Maybe the only time you spend alone with your spouse is when you're sleeping. Maybe you're planning it that way. Or maybe it's just the craziness of life. Maybe you find yourself losing your patience and yelling at your kids or at your spouse, or at your coworkers, or at your siblings. And you're like, some, I mean, I've heard this from kids. Uh, I was a youth pastor for, for several years, and it's like, man, I just can't wait till I'm 18. You know what? You may not have your parents around, but there's going to be other people. <laughs> and 
you got to learn to navigate the relationships with your parents. Oh, man, I just can't wait to be out of the house so I don't have to deal with my little brother. Guess what? They're your brother the rest of your life. So we should probably learn how to have healthy, thriving relationships with, with them. Maybe you dread going to work because of the drama there. Well, I believe God has some insight for us into these relationships. And our experience with relationships doesn't have to shape the future of our relationships. In fact, I believe it's God's example and God's spirit that can transform our lives so that we can have thriving relationships. So we don't have to just go on the past. In Ephesians, Paul establishes that we're all part of a family. We're all part of God's family. And that there's a new way of life that's available to us. We've talked about it already. A new attitude, new speech, new ways of doing life together, a new identity in Christ. We have all of those things, and yet there's patterns in our mind of how we relate to people, and we look at it at our experience, and we go, it's, got, it's just going to keep being this way. Well, it doesn't have to be. And in Ephesians, Paul lays out some guidelines even for relationships. And uh, so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21. And when, and when you have it, I would invite you to stand, and if you don't have it, just go ahead and stand anyway. Stretch with us. But we're going to stand out of a, we like to do this in Minneapolis, uh, just out of a respect for God's word. So if you're able to stand, go ahead and join us standing. And we're going li to listen to God's word together. Okay, so Ephesians 5, we're going to start um, in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with God. God, we ask that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. 
So reading that whole section in scripture, it kind of can sound like a to-do list. We should do this. If you're a wife, if you're a husband, you should do this. If you're a child, you should do this. If you're a parent, you should do this. If you're a master, you should do this. If you're a slave, you should do this. It can really just look like a to-do list, and we can view it as that. But it is so much more than that. It's showing us the depth of God's concern with our relationships, that God does care about having a relationship with us. And all throughout Scripture, he's using examples um, when he talks about him being our father and we're his children, when he uses ex- examples of husbands and wives relating the church and, um, and himself and just the relationship that he wants us to have with him. Um, but he doesn't want to just leave us hanging here. So he knows that these relationships are important and he gives us um, guidance. And that's what this scripture is all about. Um, Jesus and even Paul is using the picture of God being our master and we are his servants. All of these things that Paul addresses are pictures that God uses to relate to us. They're relationships that he wants us to thrive in and not just survive. So the foundation in this passage is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5.21. It starts with that. And that's the lens through which we can look at the rest of the, the relationships that Paul talks about. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does submit to one another out of reverence for Christ mean? Sometimes when we hear the word submit, we, we, we ought to right away come up with some really negative emotions, right? Maybe, okay, just me. All right, well, submit has to do with recognition of order, obeying God's order. We could even look at that as even obeying God's example and how he functioned when he submitted himself to the Father's will. So if you want to understand submission and what that really means, we look at how Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. Sometimes in our culture, though, or cultures, really, submission is thought of as a sign of weakness. Submission is sometimes thought of something that uh, someone else can exact out of you. They can make you submit. You know what? They can't. They can make you obey, People can force you into obedience. They can set structures up and things around you at work or wherever to make you obey. But submission is a matter of the heart. They can't make you change your attitude. We look in in 1 Samuel 16. You can read it later. But it's the story of Saul and Samuel. and, And God speaks through Samuel to Saul, basically saying submission is a matter of the heart. And rebellion is just like the sin of witchcraft. You can do these outward things to look like you're pleasing God, but yet if your heart is wrong, it's not actually submitted to God. It's just I'm doing these acts of obedience. Yeah, I tithe. Yeah, I worship. Yeah, I pray. But my heart still says I want to do whatever I want to do. I don't want to do what you want me to do, God. So submission is a matter of the heart. It's an attitude. Submission and obedience are not the same thing. Obedience has to do with our actions. Submission has to do with our attitude. When your attitude is submitted, you will probably obey when you have the right attitude towards other people. But you can disobey and still be submissive. I knew this uh, pastor's wife in Breckenridge that uh, several times told this story because I thought it was a great, great illustration of this. But when she was working as an office administrator, her boss had asked her to lie on some forms. 
and she had a great relationship with her boss, but she didn't obey. She respectfully said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's lying. And the boss was just shocked that anybody would actually disobey respectfully. He didn't know what to do, so he went on and he figured out his way of, of doing it. But from that point forward, he had a respect for her and her willingness to, to take a stand for, for her position. And yet she did it with respect. She maintained a good relationship with him. She didn't go home grumbling to her husband and say, can you believe the nerve of that guy? Or she didn't pretend like she was going to obey and then not do it. That's not submission either. She, she listened to what he had to say. She respectfully said, I cannot do that. And from that point forward, he sent them a check in the mail as a Christmas present every year. I don't know if it was just to, eat, to soothe his conscience or something. But he recognized there was something upright about her, and yet she kept, this, she kept the right attitude. So submission and obedience aren't the same thing. You can respectfully disagree, disagree and respectfully disobey while still having a submitted attitude. And that's basically an attitude of respect. For the other person. Out of reverence for Christ. So we're going to look at, out of reverence for Christ, we're going to look at Christ's example in Ephesians chapter 2, where he submitted himself to the Father's will. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, that's true. Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Ouch. That's a pretty intense form of submission to, to, to the Father's will. He had every right in the universe and beyond the universe and yet he chose to lay down his rights and submitted himself to become a human, which is a pretty big step down from God. And then as a human, not just a regular human, he could have been born a king and the one with all the power, but he came as a servant. And he humbled himself to serve others all the way to the point of dying for something he didn't do. And of being mistreated throughout his life without saying, you don't know who I am. You don't talk to me that way. I could zap you right now. I'm going to call down lightning upon you. I mean, he didn't do that. He chose an attitude of love, an attitude of respect, and he laid down his rights to serve. And then it says in, in Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So submission and mutual submission means laying down your rights or perceived rights to serve other people. It's one way of thinking about submitting. What, like, what's it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Lay down your rights, your perceived rights, and serve somebody. It means being more concerned with your responsibilities and less concerned with your rights. I deserve. And it's being less concerned with what you deserve and more concerned with serving the other person. 
which is a pretty radical shift no matter what, what your culture. I mean, Jesus had a way of coming in the face of our natural human tendencies. We have a natural tendency to focus on what we deserve and my right, and you should speak to me with respect, and you better do this. And he's saying, lay down your rights and serve each other. Because we recognize the dignity and equality of all those who bear God's image. And when we recognize that that other person, your boss at work, your husband, your wife, your, your child, they bear God's image. They were created in the image of God. They're God's child or God's creation. He loves them. And he wants you to treat them the way he treated you. So we see this at the beginning of the passage that, that we just read. Right before what we read in Philippians, it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So do you want your relationships to thrive? I hope so. Start serving. <laughs> like it's a rhetorical question. Uh, start serving other people. Start serving those people. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, because he did that for you. So now we're going to get really practical into what this looks like in each of these relationships. We're going to just jump right in, and we're going to use our embarrassing stories to do that. So Sarah's going to talk a little bit. We're going to start just, we're going back to Ephesians, and we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 22. All right, so I'm going to talk for a minute here to wives on this topic of respect your husband. And I don't know how you view um, this section of the Bible, um, but I don't know that it's always been my favorite. And um, if you know Sam and I personally, you might pick up on the fact that we are two very strong personalities in a loving Amen. way. Amen. Um, we both like to be right, and sometimes um, we will keep going until it's evident who won. And um, having, being competitive in your marriage is not going to always be a good thing. I'm just telling you from experience. Um, and so this has just been really something of um, me trying to wrap my mind around, okay, I have rights. I'm a female. I'm allowed to vote. That means that in this marriage relationship, right, I should have a say in certain things. Um, but it really is a heart attitude and saying, okay, I, even if I feel like in a situation what I'm saying is valid, um, and hopefully Sam's being loving and listening to what I'm saying, it doesn't mean that I'm given permission to be disrespectful, to come at it um, in a negative way. And so respect and submission isn't about subjection or importance, but about supporting and honoring your husband. Getting to the point of being respectful is about laying down your rights and choosing to serve them. Respect is definitely a hard attitude, and if there's no respect, it will be evident. Um, and just before even getting into this topic further, we want to make this clear that if you're in a relationship, it is not disrespectful to seek help if there's abuse involved, if you're being abused, if your children are being abused, abused. Husbands, if you're being abused, that's not disrespectful to seek help. Um, we're talking, um, yeah, we just want you to know that. Emotionally or physically unsafe relationships, please 
seek help, and that's not being disrespectful. So how are some ways that we can show respect towards our husbands? Um, respect with your words. How do you speak to your husband, and what do you say? Um, during the early years, when we were first married and we had it all figured out, um, I was very much learning how to communicate with somebody that I love, but again, feeling very um, deeply about some things that I feel. And don't you notice that in arguments, a lot of times, you don't even remember what the argument was about, and most of the time, it's the littlest things that can become these huge things. So I don't even know what the situation was, but early on, I was very frustrated, and we were having a, you know, discussion, nice discussion, and I used, <laughs> I used the words, you are a jerk. I know, hopefully none of you have ever called your husbands a jerk, but I said it with all the passion inside of me. I think it sounded something like, jerk. Yeah. We'll talk about tone in a second. <laughs> you are a jerk. And do you know what my husband's response is? So when he talks a little bit about love, um, this is where that comes from in his walk. He said, Sarah, how would you feel if I called you a jerk? And that first time he said, that's me. I don't care. You can call me whatever you want. I was so mad. And I think it was later, you know, like it happened again. And I said, you are a jerk. And he said, Sarah, how would you feel right now if I called you a jerk? Because see, respect to me, the fact that I was disrespecting him, it didn't matter. I was frustrated. I couldn't even think about that. But when he pointed out how would I feel if he were to call me a jerk, suddenly there was this moment of, oh my gosh, that would hurt me to the core. This person that I love saying, you are a jerk, even if I deserved it and I had done something wrong, for him to say those words to me were so strong. And so after years now, of him having that be his response, it has changed the way that I use those words. When I say it, I no longer, right away, if, I, if it comes out of my mouth, um, wait a second, that's not right. You don't deserve to be called that, and that's not me being respectful towards you. It's the heart that's changed in me, not the power of the words, but the heart that, no, I don't want to speak that over you. You may be right about a situation, but if you do the right thing in the wrong way, it makes you wrong. Your tone. You can say something. We deal with this with our kids all the time, and when they do it to me, I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. They can say something like, hey, can you, honey, can you do the dishes? Okay. Like, the way that they say it, you know, I'm like, can you just say, okay, you know, you know you're going to get asked to do it. But suddenly, you know, with Sam, he can come in the door and I can, he can say something to me and I'm like, all right. Or I could say, okay, totally different in the way that you use your tone. Fine. <laughs> How do you speak about your husband? Respect goes deeper than the conversations that happen when you're both standing next to each other. And when I'm around women that are talking disrespectfully about their husbands, it hurts. 
because I know that it's an attitude of the heart. And I know that we can be going through issues and we've got to talk it out with friends. And I'm not talking, you know, there's a place for, for that. But, but when you're talking disrespectfully about your husband and you're talking, oh, I wish he would pick his socks up off the floor. And all you can say are these negative things. Are you combating that with positive things? So when you, not that you should be saying that, but when you think about your life right now, do your friends feel, would they get this picture of your marriage relationship being this, you have respect for your husband, or can they just think of all of the times that you've negatively talked about him? You should be your husband's biggest fan. Also, just to jump in there, your friends may also be going, if this is how she talks about her husband, how does she talk about me? They may be wondering that. Okay, the next one, respect with your actions, your body language. Your husband might tell you something like, okay, Sam loves it when I do that, okay, roll the eyes. Not respectful, not helping the situation. Um, This is a big one I've heard just through the grapevine from the other gender that that men don't always love the honey-do list. They don't always love it when their wife has this long list of things that they're almost supposed to do, that this is like their responsibility. Um, And so just being able to come at that, I mean, there's things that need to get done. I'm a doer. I I have lists. I'm like, okay, honey, these are the things I need you to do. But there's a different way in my heart and my attitude to come at it that's not necessarily, okay, Sam, here's your list. You need to do this. But hey, honey, um, the washer's not working. Do you think we could figure out a time where we could get that fixed? Um, It's just, again, the heart attitude and being respectful in the way that you say it. Um, Listening with your with your actions, with your with everything. Um, Generally, I think we have the idea that women like to talk more than men, and I think that's true in some cases. So. In the case where your husband is beginning to open up to you, um, don't shut him down and say, oh, well, I really need to go to bed now. Or, you know, we are in this season with little ones. It is stressful. Um, but I realize that as a verbal processor, there are so many times that this man will listen to everything I have to say. And then he begins to say something to me, and I am like, I cannot handle it right now. <laughs> there is no room for this. Um, And that, again, not showing respect a lot of times. Um, Respect with your decisions. Back each other up in parenting. You can hurt (laughs) any decision made so much by in front of your kids saying, what are you talking about? Why did you just say that? What are you doing? Um, When you are on a team with your parenting, it makes such a huge difference. Um, and so if there's something that you don't agree with or something that maybe you need to discuss further, wait and talk about it um, when your kids aren't around, but back each other up in parenting. And don't override each other. Um, or talk over each other. Or talk over each other. Like this. Because it's not fun. It's not nice. Um, instead, find a time to address, to seek, to dialogue about differences of opinions. And finally, don't make big decisions without getting on the same page. You know, we hear all the time that the number one um, marital dispute a lot of times is money. You know, if you're on the same page and you're discussing things and you have 
a plan, or at least you have a plan that you're going to talk about having a plan, um, you know, not, not making those big, you know, hey, honey, look at what I bought, a new rug <laughs> that, that costs way more than we had talked about spending. You know, be on the same page, and that's me showing respect for my husband. You know, he's working hard, and how can we be um, communicating and on the same page with these decisions? Let me jump in here with this one, too. Some of you are in, in relationships where you're both working hard. And Sarah's actually working, too. So you're working, and you're thinking, well, that's my money. And I've actually seen this, and, and it's hurt me. I've, I've seen this in relationships where, um, where either, one of the, either one of the ones in the relationship might say, well, your money is our money, and my money's my money. And I've seen it. It was like, we'll budget your money, but then I get to decide whatever I do with my money because that's I worked for that. And it's like, wait, that doesn't... Either we're on the same team or we're not. Are we all together? Are we all in or not? And then where you, you talk through what you're doing with your money together, your expenses for the house. Well, I pay, you know, his check pays the, his check pays the, the rent or the mortgage, and my check pays the food, and then whatever's left over from my check goes to whatever I want it to go. No. And same thing with the husband. You could, well, I made a little extra money this week, and I'm just going to buy myself this really cool new gadget or this new power tool because I need it. And you, you come home, and, and your wife's like, what you, would you buy? That, you know, we, we've got to pay this other thing. Well, no, I mean, this is my money. Finances are a really big deal, and we do a thing called financial freedom. Next time it's offered, I would encourage you to go through it. Uh, we did it as a one-day seminar. I think it worked well to just put some tools in your hands for how to relate with money. But it's really important to, to, to learn how to relate with money. These things, my hope is as we go through all these different relationships, you're not sitting here going like, well, that's not about me. I don't have any kids. That's not about me. I'm not married. That's not about me. I'm the husband, so I don't have to listen to this respect stuff. No, actually, we should all be doing all of these things. We're just emphasizing here it says, wives, respect your husband. There's a really good book out called Love and Respect. If you really want to dig into more between how husbands can demonstrate love to their wives and how wives can demonstrate love to their husbands, read the book Love and Respect. There's a bunch of other really good books out there. But women, ladies, your husbands, those of you who are married anyway, your husbands will understand love when it comes through in an attitude of respect. So we can be all like lovey-dovey, like, I love you so much. I like writing love notes and stuff. And, and be all like cutesy, loving towards them, but then say, say disrespectful words. And it just kind of shuts the whole thing down. And as a guy, you're walking away going like, she doesn't love me. And she's going like, what do you mean I don't love you? I wrote you these notes. I packed you this lunch. It's, respect is one of, the, one of the key ways that as men, we feel loved. So ladies... Hear that. Men, now we get to you. What's up? That's what I was just saying. Like, these are things that we should all be doing. So this is speaking to women specifically. Respect is, is, is kind of, maybe it's one of, the, one of the ways that Paul saw that even 2,000 years ago, He's seeing, I see a lot of love. I see maybe, maybe there was hand-holding, but I'm seeing all of a sudden that there's disrespect too. And then with the, with the men, he's going like, the, the men, I'm like, I work hard. I, I give my time to provide for my family. 
And yet he's saying, but you got to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So if you even look at the content here, the amount of verses that Paul devotes to the wives and their relationship to their husbands is this much, right? Look in your Bible. The, how much he gives to the husbands is about that much, telling them how to love their wives. So husbands loving your wives, there is an attitude of respect, but I think Paul ratches it up on a, a whole other level. And he says, husbands, die. What are you supposed to do? Die. Die for your wives. Because he said, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He died. So ladies, you're like, man, it's so hard. I got to respect this guy. He's not even respectable. (laughs) But it says, husbands, die. So I'd pick respect, I think. If I got to choose when it was getting dished out, I'd go, Paul, can you say husbands respect your wives? Because I'm okay with that. But it says die, which involves respect, but it even takes it a whole other level. It's sacrificial love. So let's look at this again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself. So he's saying this is, a, this is about more than just your relationship. This is a picture of God's love for us. But don't just take this allegorically. I'm really saying love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That means he, be willing to die, be willing to sacrifice. So husbands, if you want to use the scripture to remind your wives to submit, I would encourage you to also remember that it says that you're supposed to die. This love is an unconditional, selfless, sacrificing love that seeks the very best for your wife. This is an invitation not to power and be like, I am the man, I am the head. No, but an invitation to empower. Christ is the head of the church, and yet what does he come and do? He serves. So husbands, love and serve your wives. So how do we do that, husbands? By serving and supporting, by cleaning. What? So your wife is tired. You say, how can I help? Not, my show's on. Not, oh, there's a really big game tonight. But how can I help? You, you see that there's, that there's tension, that there's stress, and you say, how can I help? You serve, you support. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to watch the kids this afternoon. And it's not called babysitting, it's called parenting. So I'm going to watch the kids, and you go do something. Go take a break. Maybe it's cleaning the car. Maybe it's scheduling that time when she says, there's this problem, and we need to deal with it. This thing's broken. And you actually listen, and you sit down, and you go, okay, how are we going to do this? Let's figure this out. Because we're all different. We all like certain things. And if you sit down and choose to serve your wife, Choose to support her in her parenting when, when you're not home, that the kids know that it's not like mom and dad have two different standards. 
one of the biggest things our kids get in trouble for is if they come to me and then they go to her. It's like, it doesn't matter what you were asking, you just did it the wrong way. Could, it could have been fine. We, we might have said yes, but now that you did that, we're saying no. Serve and support. How can I help you? And this is hard, guys, because we don't, we're not naturally wired to think that way. We think, I went to work, I did my stuff, I'm serving by providing. I'm home, I'm off. I get a break. And she's going like, you're home, I get a break. So together to say, to, I'm going to choose to serve, how can I help? And then she's saying, well, I just need this one thing. And then we can both take a break after the kids go to bed. You know, who knows? Your, your situation might be different. You might find that you each like different things or really despise certain things. Like, I don't like cleaning the cars. She doesn't mind it. So she cleans the cars. She really hates the trash. So I take out the trash. We've figured out things. She knows that I don't really prefer mowing. I was, I was raised in Mexico. There was no mowing. There was no grass. I love to mow the grass, but I hate to mop the floors. So if our floors are clean, it's because of him. So I mop the floors. She does the grass. We figured out there are things that some of us, just we just don't like. And that's loving and serving each other. So she mows. I'm like, why are we wasting all this space on this pointless vegetation? <laughs> Alga was over the other day, and Alga was saying, you should have a garden. You should take half of this grass and turn it into a garden. I'm like, you know how much more work that would be? All right, so serve and support, relationship and romance. Relationship is important, making time for it, figuring out what the love language is that, that you each have. And you may be better at one than the other. Like, I'm not a star at romance. I really am not. I had this amazing romantic proposal that would make some of you jealous, I think. <laughs> he tricked me. And then that was probably the most romantic thing I've ever done. And she's like, she's like, this guy is an incredible romantic. Turns out he's not so much. <laughs> but what do we do? We take date, we, we, we make a point of having dates and spending time together and going to places that we enjoy being together. And we're learning and we're growing. And every time that, that, that she reminds me, well, it's like, it's, it's a catch-22 with the romance for me. Because... If I give her flowers on Valentine's Day or Mother's Day, I'm doing it because I have to. So, so that's, the, that's the feedback I get. So I can't give her flowers on Mother's Day. Or, but then when I don't remember to give her flowers on the other times, that is just a random one, and then she reminds me that those are the really significant ones, if I do it right after that, then I'm like, well, then that's because you told me to. So then it's this real tough spot. I'm learning. I'm growing. I thought of just getting her flowers earlier this week because of this message. And then I was like, but that wouldn't count either, because she'd go, that you only thought of that because you were going to talk about romance. <laughs> so there may be parts of romance that you're really good at, husbands. Maybe you're really good at notes. Maybe you're really good at flowers. Maybe you're really good at uh, back rubs. And you're like, you know, I could really use a back rub, but they're like, oh, my back really hurts. And you give them a back rub instead, and you're like, oh, my back. You know what? It's... There's different types of romance, and you've got to find what works for you, but think about romance. Don't go like, well, she's married. She can't, you know, this is, I don't need romance. We're done. We're married. Uh, relationships, spend time together. 
Dates don't have to be expensive. What do you do with your evenings during the week? The times that, or, or times that you have together. If you don't, like if you're not intentional about it, those times will come and go and you'll be like, we never spend time together. Well, schedule a time, say this is the, every Monday, every Monday night is our home night together. It's our, um, our date night at home, right? So maybe you won't hit every Monday, maybe something will come up, but you're gonna try that you're doing date night at home. That means that together you're gonna say, what do you wanna do tonight? And you're just gonna spend time together or talk or serve and support. Maybe it's date, date night while you fix something that's broken on the house together. Who knows? But you're spending time together. All right. And then f schedule other dates. It doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, we, we've done dates where, where we go to Chipotle and buy one thing of Chipotle and split it. So that's $8. That was a great date. Because we sat there and we talked and we ate Mexican food, so that made it even awesome. Uh, but, you, you know, serving and supporting also means saying, hey, she likes Leanne Chin, so sometimes we're going to go to Leanne Chin, which I don't really prefer. We do not go there as much as Chipotle, though. I yeah, it's true, because Chipotle is way better. Whose love is greater. I'm still working on it. Might have something to do with the Leanne Chin by our house, too. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. Some, like, I think our, our favorite dates have been a motorcycle ride around the Twin Cities. We've done that twice. And I don't think we spent any money, except for gas, driving around. But it was the memory of knowing we did this route together. Husbands, empower and encourage your wives. They've done stuff to help you be who God's called you to be. Turn around and go, like, how can I help you become who God wants you to be? You know, maybe, they want, maybe there's classes that they want to take. Maybe there's a, 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 a thing that they want to get involved with, a ministry that they want to do. To say, how can I help you be who God's called you to be? How can I encourage you instead of criticizing all the things I don't like about you? How can I instead encourage who God's called you to be prayerfully? Like, no, I think God wants you to do this, and then encourage that. And, and not just say really good things like, you should do that, but actually provide the way for them to do that. All right, this is important because of oneness. The Bible says that the two become one, and that that's a picture of Christ's love for the church. So I have a story here. And then we'll move on to the other relationships. I'm going to share about that one time. The time you beaned me. Yeah, the time I beaned Sam. Um, so this was actually recently, so we don't want you to think that we have this all figured out by any means. Um, but we're talking about thriving in your relationships rather than surviving. Um, and this is an incident that happened not too long ago. We were in the basement of our house. And I was in the laundry room, and there's a root cellar kind of off the laundry room. And Sam was located in the root cellar with the door open between us. And um, it's kind of cold in there, a cement floor. Um, and we were having a discussion. And I, I don't I, call it a discussion. I believe I was frustrated over something to do with cleaning. I Maybe was just a little. overwhelmed and asking for some support. Um, and I didn't quite like the way that he responded. And for some reason, there was just sitting right next to me, this bag of beans, much like this. She literally beans me. And somehow, I don't even know how it happened, but I grabbed it and I threw it in his direction. And because of my lack of baseball skills um, and his ninja skills, he, it did not hit him. What happened instead is it hit the shelf that was in that um, root cellar. And what then happened is because it hit the shelf, it exploded and dumped out all of the beans into this storage room. 
And the irony that of what our discussion was about, and here the response that I had, um, so when we're talking about respect, being respectful, my tone, my body language, the poor man was just standing there, and this is what happened. <laughs> but here's what happened afterwards. A few days later, actually, he kind of laughed right after it happened, because he was like, ha-ha, now look at what you've got to clean up. And so right then he went upstairs and I started cleaning it up with a vacuum. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to, I'll get this cleaned up. But what happened was a few days later, I came back down to that root cellar and there was this awful stench because I didn't get all the beans up and there were beans that were on the cement floor when I was moving some tubs and they were like melting onto the floor from the moisture and it stunk. Still does. So I cleaned some up, came back, still smells. Moved some more tubs, found some more beans. Still smells. Now every time I go, I'm cleaning up this mess from my actions, from the way that I acted towards my husband. You know, we think that, you know, it, it's, it's, our, it's my right that was being violated, um, and yet it affects your relationship way more than that. So what we want to do is not have those situations where we're having to spend all this time cleaning up the beans and instead we can thrive and both support each other in what we're called to do and in loving people and loving our family and not picking up the beans. So this applies to all of our relationships, respect and love, sacrifice. It goes through all of the different parts of our lives, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Kids, if you were listening to the stories about relationships so far, about being respectful, about being loving and sacrificial, that's part of being a child, too. Imagine, here it says, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you. One of the things that that meant is so you don't die. Because they could take you out and stone you to death. That didn't really happen very much, but they had the option so that it may go well with you and so that you have a long life. But I think it's more than that. It's a promise that when you honor your father and mother, when you choose to obey, when you choose to treat them with respect, it will go well with you. And this is not just a, as long as I'm in my house thing. You're, if you're out of the home, you can still honor your father and mother. You may not have to obey everything that they say because you're out on your own, but you can honor them by the way that you talk about them by the way that you talk to them, by spending time with them, by praying for them. Maybe they didn't do a good job of parenting you. You can still honor them by praying for them, by blessing them, by serving them. So children, here's real quick for you. Honor your parents. If you're still in the home, kids, obey your parents so that it will go well with you. And pray for your parents. Kids, have you ever stopped to think what it would be like to parent you? Like, once that hit me as a kid, as a teenager, I, was, I started apologizing to my parents a lot more. <laughs> Pray for them, because they have to parent you. Pray for them. Pray for God's grace and mercy to fill their lives and overflow to you. Parents, lead your children. So this section says... Don't exasperate. 
fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this isn't just fathers, this is mothers too. Um, It's our responsibility as parents to train and instruct and to not frustrate our children. Um, A few years ago, I went to a parenting conference. It was called Grace-Based Parenting. Anna Vanderkoy and I went together. And there was one illustration that was said during that conference that has stuck with me for the last two and a half years as we've been in this transition of parenting and kind of in moments where we didn't quite know what to do. Um, But Dr. Tim Keller, who was um, the speaker at, at the conference, shared this illustration. Have you ever gotten pulled over by a police officer? Now, I'm just going to imagine what that's like. Um, If you've ever been speeding and gotten pulled over by a police officer. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine the police officer coming up to your car, and what would his response be? I cannot believe that you were speeding. Did you not see the sign? What are you thinking? Why aren't you obeying? Why aren't you following? What are you, all these people are going to get hurt. Is that what they do? They come up and they say, hello, can I have your license and registration, please? They give you a consequence, most likely. You get a ticket. You walk away being paranoid that you're under the speed limit at all times because you don't want that to happen again. As parents, we don't need to have this response when our children do something as if it's, oh, my gosh, you just did what? Children, our response is to train them, to instruct them, and it's not going to help them if our response is one of frustration. Um, I'm... I'm not even going to hit on this, really, except it goes deeper in this. But nowadays, the whole yelling thing, it's almost like it's accepted that as a mom even, that it's okay for me to yell at my kids because it's just too overwhelming. But really, are we taxing ourselves too much? And does God want us to be that way with our children? Is God up there screaming at us, telling us what we're doing wrong and telling us different things? But it's out of love. And when we can have our response with our children... And pray every day, God, I need you. I need you. Help me as I instruct these children. Help me as I teach these children. I think my favorite song is, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every day. I need you. So we want to be intentional. We want to be gracious. We want to be consistent. And as you can kind of really evaluate as a couple, what are the things that are really important to you? And can you really stick together in those things? Can you really be consistent in those things with your kids? You're going to see changes. You know, two and a half years ago when we transitioned to five kids, we were scared out of our minds. For the first three months, we would not leave the house. We didn't know how to manage five kids. We didn't know what we were doing. And we just said, okay, let's start with we're going to all sit at the table and say please and thank you. Okay? We're going to start at, hey, why don't you guys say, can I please be excused? There were certain things that were really important to us that our kids learned. To this day, we will still remind them of things, but it is so much better. But they're going to be able to respond better if your response isn't one of being overly exuberant. So be intentional, be gracious, be consistent. Don't quit. It's real hard work to be a parent. Don't quit. There are a a multitude of things you can try out there, and I've heard people go, well, I tried the the reward system, and I tried tracking this, and I tried this, and I tried this, and I tried this, and none of it worked. Actually, I think you could pick almost any of those and stick with it, and it'll work. 
because the thing is consistency and clarity so that you know what's expected, your kids know what's expected. It's less exasperating for you and for them. So final relationship, work relationships. It talks about slaves and masters. In that day when Paul was writing, many of the cities in Asia Minor, slaves outnumbered free. So it was very likely he would be speaking to people who were slaves, and many times that was indentured. Like, they went into slavery in order to get money to pay off a debt or to have a place to live or to have food. So they had put themselves into a a servanthood position. We kind of do that too. We call it jobs. If you don't work, you don't eat for the most part. So we go to work, and sometimes we take a slavery approach, a slavery mindset at work, and it's like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to punch the clock in and out. I don't want to take any, you know. And we think like that. And Paul is saying, don't think like that. No matter what situation, why you're working, what you're doing in your work, do it as unto God. Serve wholeheartedly is what he said. So in your relationships, are you serving wholeheartedly at work? Do you look at your coworkers and go, how can I help them? Or do you think, oh, man, here comes so-and-so. He's going to ask me for help i got to find a good excuse to, to avoid that. Or you go to meetings, and you go, how can I make sure that I leave this meeting with nothing to do? <laughs> you know, so-and-so would be really good at that. Instead, you're going, how can I serve my coworkers? How can I, do you ever think this? Because most of us don't. How can I help my company become better? Then if you're thinking that, then you're serving wholeheartedly. Serve consistently, not just when they're watching you. If you've ever had a coworker that does this, because I'm sure it wasn't you, it's really annoying. They see the boss coming, and they start looking busy. They start doing stuff. And then as soon as the boss leaves, they start talking bad about the boss, and they start, like, doing nothing. You've never done that. But I'm sure your coworkers have. Do it consistently, though. Serve consistently, not just when people are watching you. Serve as unto God. It says here that when we, when we serve, and he was talking to slaves that had it much worse than we do. We get like 15-minute breaks every four hours. You get a lunch break. Maybe your lunch break is paid. And then you get another 15-minute break. You've got rights. There's unions. There's a lot of stuff. And, he, and we complain. And he was writing to slaves, and he says, when you serve faithfully, it's, you're serving unto God, and that just should blow our minds. Because probably they were, they were in a place of poverty and they had put themselves into slavery or into servitude to pay the bills to, to, so that their family could survive. And yet we have it so much better and instead we complain. And if you're a boss, you should do all these things too. Serve your employees. Go, how can I make their lives better? Not, what's the least that I could pay them? I wonder if there's a way I could work this so that they can't take their 15-minute break even though I tell them that they're supposed to. Serve consistently, not just when your boss is watching you, if you're the boss in a situation, maybe you're a manager or a supervisor. And serve as unto God that when you serve your employees, when you serve and make their lives better, you're doing it as unto God. It's ministry. So in all your relationships, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't be selfish. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Parents, Lead your children and employees and employers. Serve each other. Lay down your rights. Embrace your responsibilities. Stop focusing about what other people should do and think about what's God called me to do in this situation. And then if everybody's doing that, there should be this cycle where things start thriving. 
But if not everyone is doing that and you're the only one focusing on your responsibility, God is going to bless that is what this scripture says. If you're not going like, well, they're supposed to do this. Man, kids do that all the time, don't they? Kids, kids, do you ever do that? But he did this to me, so that's why I punched him. Well, they were wrong, but the moment you punched him, you became wrong too, and now you're both wrong. Focus on your responsibilities, not your rights. Choose to serve. If there are issues and there are, there's, there's dysfunction and there's lack of health and there's bad things happening, then seek help. I'm not saying just stay where it's at and oh, I'm just going to choose to serve. No, there, find outside help if you need help. But make the focus of your attitude on your responsibilities in the situation, not on your rights. So I want us to close in prayer. And wherever you're at, what's your responsibility? What's God calling you to do? In all of your relationships, with siblings, with neighbors, are you serving them? As Christ served you? God, we thank you that you laid down your rights and chose to serve. And that that model influences and affects everything that we do. God, help us to lay down our rights to serve other people so that our relationships can thrive so that we can learn from our mistakes, so that we can continue to grow closer to the people that you've put in our lives. That our relationships would be a picture of your love. That people would see our friendships, they would see our, our family, they would see our uh, relationships with our parents and with our kids and with our spouses, and they would, say, they, would, they would be able to say, I can see a God that's loving in how you treat each other. I can see a God that's loving and how you care and serve for each other. God, change our hearts where our hearts are wrong. Where we've made it about us instead of about you and about others. God, we don't want to live that way anymore. Lord, we repent of those, of those attitudes that have been wrong. And we choose to submit ourselves to you. And then in love, to serve and submit to those around us, to prefer their needs over our needs. God, is so radical. We need your help. We need a miracle because we can't do this by trying harder. Change our hearts, oh God. Give us a new heart. Change our ways of thinking that we would be able to love as you've loved us. In Jesus' name. Lord, we just want to pray for the person standing next to us right now and ask, Lord, that you would fill them with the deep, deep love because it's that deep, deep love which will empower and enable us to do the things that you've invited us to take responsibility for today, to thrive. So we bless the person on either side of us today and pray that you'd fill them, Lord God, with all that they will need to accomplish what you have given them responsibility for in their home, in their work, in their neighborhood, in their friendships, in the church, in the world, wherever they are. We pray the blessing now of the Lord. And now with hands still held together, I pray that you, that we together may be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, 
be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. Until we meet again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love, his goodness, and his mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Be blessed, people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Go in his peace. Amen.